we are uh, not mere men. We are men and women singled out, called from before the creation of the world, created for a very special purpose. We are a peculiar people. And as we, as we think about uh, what we're doing on a Sunday morning when everybody else is doing something else, here you are. Because there's something going on inside you that has been going on inside you for a long time. And you are hungry to continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. And I thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful through the years. Because God is certainly with this group and we will continue to move us into the future. As, uh, as I think about from the Sunday school this morning, uh, we, we were talking about the topic from two weeks ago, but the idea that, that change, real change on the inside, has to require a work from the outside that God himself would come in and he would bind the strong men from Satan and the demonic forces and the darkness, but he would build strong men and women that we are here for that very purpose. And so if you are in church and you have been in church for a period of a season or several months, and you do not see or feel or, or understand the change that is happening, uh, either something's going on where you are not connected with Christ, but if you are connected with Christ, you will not be the same person. You cannot sit in this pew, in this church, under the Word of God, with the influence of the Spirit, and remain the same. And yet that's a real question for all of us as we struggle with what faith means, with what hope means, with what love means. But what all God is doing, it's easy to get into a habit of taking things for granted. And there's nothing more, nothing more that will open your eyes than stepping into prison, <laughs> like I did last week into Toledo. And in Newcastle, actually, went to Newcastle as well. And when you begin to see the question, as I posed to the Sunday school class, can people really change at the core, in the soul, in the heart? And you think about that. If you listen to the world, you're going to get all kinds of changes. And you can have change for the sake of change. I know there's a group of women in New York, they're lesbians who do counseling for sex, sexually abused women, and they do help people change. But we're not talking about just change in terms of coping or accommodating or doing behavioral change. There's a different kind of change that we're looking at and asking God to do. And that change is primarily between your relationship with Jesus Christ on a Tuesday afternoon on a Saturday morning, it's how you understand God thinks about you. And I'm here primarily for one purpose, is to help you love Jesus Christ more and more. That's my only purpose, to see that you are built in your devotion to Christ. And remember a year ago, I said, can you imagine if everybody in Chesterland Baptist Church had the same devotion as Mary, the same commitment as Paul, that we are all going to grow up into Christ at a level. Well, that's what we want to look at today. But I want to take you back and, and catch you up into our, our series in Ephesians. Because as I go into the prisons, and I taught Ephesians in prison 
And there are now in Newcastle, Indiana, there are 440 men, a church planted on the inside of that prison, who are responsible for reaching the other 3,000 men, the other 2,500 men in that prison. In Toledo last week, 23 men took the cross as a symbol that they're going to follow Christ and join that fellowship in prison in Toledo. Uh, What I want you to hear is this, is that God is on the move and he's doing work in corners that you won't get to. This is missions. And Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations and observe. Be astonished and wonder, because I am doing a work in your day that if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe it. And oh, to hear these stories. And so let me go back, put on the rewind button, and go back 2,000 years. (laughs) And I want to take you back to this place in Ephesus. And I want you to get a, a feel, I want you to get a feel of what God was doing back then. And imagine you've got New York City or Sao Paulo. You've got some port city, a a, a metropolis, and there's a religion already established. This is Tokyo. There's a lot of places around the world. This is Bangkok. And you've got a pagan religion, a local religion that dominates this culture. And this culture is Artemis or Diana. But... I want you to go back in time with me and think what Paul was doing in Ephesus. Think about the people who come off the fishing boats or who are slaves or who are doing the woodworking or doing the, the block cutting and, and all, all the daily life that would actually happen 2,000 years ago in that time. And think that there is no Christian church. There's no Christian publishing house, no Christian television, no Bibles. There's no, there's no churches to go to. And before there was anything on that territory, people would go to the stadiums and people would, would do their uh, work as they would go through, but they would go to the temple. And to worship in the temple would mean you go have sex in the temple. It's a fertility cult. And if you were married, you would send your wife to worship by letting her give her body. And so they would, it was just a different mindset. It's a pagan mindset. And here comes Paul. Well, I want you to think, this is the first church, the first Baptist church there in Ephesus. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, how are people going to get to know Christ? And you think about that. And think about today, how are people going to do it? Because there's not a lot of difference if you go back and look underneath. So let me take you back to what Jesus would say. In the New Testament, Christianity began with two words. And those words were, follow me. Means in order for you to be involved in a relationship with Christ, you'd have to keep in step. Because he's not going to stay put. And he's on the move, like Aslan is on the move. And so he said to Peter and John uh, and James and all the other 12 disciples, uh, follow me, be with me, go with me. And Christianity, more than anything, was not a systematic theology. It was not a doctrinal system. It was a man named Jesus. And that relationship at the core is what the whole... Started the whole thing. But 
from Galilee, Capernaum, down to Jerusalem on over. It moved, and as it continued to grow, it went to Greece. And Christianity lost that focus on relationship and became a philosophy. So what Paul would say uh, to the people, the philosophers and thinkers, well, let's see, the resurrection. Is it possible that the body, that Jesus resurrected? Well, how does that happen? I mean, so, so as they would intellectualize and about theology, Christianity became a cognitive belief. And so they had to put it in and adapt to the way the Greeks would think. And if you think about the influence of the Greek on Christianity through the years, it has had a significant influence, which we'll come to later. But from Greece, it moved over to Rome. And Rome, through Constantine, it became an institution. As Constantine made it a state religion, and all of a sudden you had a system that really was governmental in its focus. And Rome became the focal point instead of Jerusalem or Antioch. And the idea that you have big systems, the Roman system, that from Rome it moved to Europe. And in Europe, that institution became a culture. So you have the European culture and the Christian high culture, the high liturgy, the high, the Celtic or the Anglican, or you have the rituals of, of England. And when it becomes a culture, you begin to think about all that France did and Germany did and Sweden did and England did, and every culture was stamped by a different denominational bent. But from Jerusalem to Greece to Rome to Europe, it came to America. In America, it became an enterprise. We have franchises in every corner. We have the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, the Wendy's Hamburgers, the McDonald's Hamburgers. We have uh, any kind of different way to serve you Christianity. If you don't like this church, you go to that church. If you don't like that preacher, you go to that preacher. If you don't like that TV station, change the channel. If you don't like that radio station... Ephesus had none of that. So I want to go back to what he said. When Jesus said, follow me, that's what the Ephesians heard. And the Ephesians heard that if you're going to be involved with Christ, it wasn't joining a group, it wasn't joining a denomination, it wasn't joining your favorite, you know, take-home Christianity flavor. It was, you're going to be confronted with the one who's alive, who's calling you. Well, that's what, that's what started in Ephesus. So let me ask you this question for those of you who are trivia buffs. How did the Ephesian church start? Who started the Ephesian church? Do, 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 do. Did Paul? It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Paul. And it started before Paul with a couple who just happened to be in Ephesus called Priscilla and Aquila. And they were over there working as tent makers, and Paul joined them in 53 AD. Now before Paul got there, imagine these two people, husband and wife, working, and they got this other guy that came along, and he was a preacher. And you know this guy, his name was Apollos. And Apollos came in and he started to, re, to preach the gospel, preach 
about Christ, preach about the Messiah, but he didn't have everything together. And so what he was preaching was what he understood, which was the baptism of John. And so when Apollos went over to Ephesus, he says, repent, repent, for the Messiah is coming. Repent, because salvation is here. And Priscilla and Aquila brought him to the side and says, there's something more here. And Apollo sat under the teaching of Priscilla and Aquila until he was adequately trained to understand that Christ actually died and was resurrected and the Spirit of God was now here after Pentecost. Well, Apollos didn't know that because he was whatever the time difference was. And so now Apollos went over to Corinth and then Paul comes into Ephesus. And Paul begins to hear all these stories of all these people growing in Christ. Now you think about that. When, when Priscilla and Aquila and Paul and Apollos and eventually John and a lot of people went into Ephesus because it was a big ministry. But they wrote this letter to the Ephesians. Paul did. Because this is the word that God was giving to the first church in Ephesus through Paul. And what you have is a 2,000-year-old letter that is just as relevant today as it was back then for anyone who wants to go back to those first two words, follow me. That's what you got to keep in mind as you understand this. Because the need of the hour, the need of the hour, the need of this hour, right here today, is the same. That this young church, this immature church, this fledgling church, doesn't have a foundation that we sing about. There was no firm foundation. They didn't understand the Spirit of God. They didn't understand the church because there was no church. This was the, the beginning. And so as we go back into that, let me ask you this question. No Bible, no system. How do people grow when you don't have people in the box? If they're not in church, how do people learn about Christ? How do they learn about Christ? How do they learn about Christ? You know how they do that? Through relationships. One person telling another person. Does this sound familiar? You resonate, and so somebody comes along and says, you can have new life in Christ. Really? Well, I'm over here in the Apollos, or I'm over here in the... Uh, Artemis religion, and I don't want to, well, okay, but let me tell you about Jesus. And so when they began to talk about Christ, things started happening when people started to follow Christ, and little bit by little bit they grew. But the goals that Paul wanted them to have was to understand something that no other religion would teach about, and still doesn't teach about, this wonderful grace of Jesus. And the goal of grace to help people understand that if you step into a relationship with Christ, you're going to meet a wonderful Savior who's going to meet you, embrace you, understand you, pursue you because he's passionately involved with who you are. He loves you. And he's enthralled with you. There's something about the Lord of glory that we have so reduced and forgotten or take for granted because it becomes threadbare, worn, 
an old hat until you meet him again each and every day. And that's what we're talking about here in, in Ephesians. And so real quickly as we run through, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, this is what God has done for us. And this will come into play where Ephesians 1, God is integrating, again, cosmos, heaven and earth. He's bringing it together. Two, he's incorporating through the baptism of Christ, Gentiles and Jews. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law. You just have to know Christ. And so he, through the baptism, we are brought into a oneness with him. And in chapter 3, we are now the church in which God has deposited the Holy Spirit through which the world is going to come to know Christ. This is the institution of the church. We've talked about that. And I mentioned how when it came to that intercessory prayer, the focus of Paul's prayer is that Christ would dwell within you and that you would be strong in your love for Christ, that you would have the strength on the inside, not from the outside, but that you would stand up with the assurance of your faith that you know who you belong to, whose you are in him. And that's what Paul was praying, the depth, the height, the breadth, the length. That's what the Ephesians heard. They they cut their teeth on that. And so you move into chapter 4, and this is where we were two weeks ago, that Christ has bound the strong man. He's gone into Hades, and he says, there's no death, there's no disease, there's no darkness, there's nothing that's going to keep you out of this loving relationship with Christ. And therefore, you're going to bind the strong man. And the second part of Ephesians, you're going to build the strong man, which brings us to where we are. As Apollos was instructed by Priscilla and Aquila, so we have been given in the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so here we are, as we, we go into the next chapter, we learn how to imitate Christ because we know him and reflect him. As we go into Ephesians 6, we'll look at the influence and in spiritual warfare that you have as a believer in Christ. And as we do that, we need to back up right here, right where we are in Ephesians 4, and look at what he's saying. And there's going to be four points. I'm not going to focus on all four. I'm just going to focus on two today and then two next week. But as we grow in grace, as we understand how God enables, God equips, God empowers, God enlightens us to who he is and what he's doing. You see, when Paul said that we are now given, uh, that we're going to be growing uh, with him. If I can see this, yeah. Growing in unity. Growing in maturity. Growing in community. And the last one we're going to look at is that transforming process. As we, grow in, as we grow in Christ, we learn, as the Ephesians learn, how the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives. Now that's important. Because as you look at the church in America today, let me ask you, is the church unified today? Is the church maturing today? Is the church moving in a relationship where they understand that growing uh, spirit relationship where the community reflects Christ-likeness? We're in the same boat as the Ephesians. The same boat. 
And therefore, it's important for me because as you get to the end of Revelation, there's one comment about the Ephesians. It says that they were very committed to fight doctrine and do issues, but there's one thing that they left. Their first love. And that happened because they weren't maturing in Christ, and we'll look at that later. But we're going to look at this idea, growing in unity. And growing in unity has a particular emphasis. As we look at today, we're going to look at the unity of the whole body, the unity of the knowledge of the Son. That's a funny phrase. And we think about, again, the unity measured as a mature man. These are, these are kind of interesting phraseology in English because you have to Go back and rethink that. But we're going to talk about unity first. And then we're going to be talking about growing out of immaturity. No longer ignorant. No longer impulsive. No longer inexperienced. We're going to look at those two and then we'll go say the rest for later. But Ephesians 4.13. Get this passage. Because you can count on this. If you haven't asked the Lord to do this, ask him. Because this is fascinating. Until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is one of the goals of grace. That you as a woman, you as a man, you as a believer, you understand that there's a we all there, a used guys there. This is not a privatized it is a corporate call into the body of Christ. We all are called, and as we move into unity, it says in particular uh, that we, we move until we attain or until we reach this unity. And unity is not on the high priority right now in Washington, D.C., Unity is on the high priority among kingdom people. And yet kingdom people, if they're not being led by the Spirit, if they're not mature in the Spirit, they won't have unity. But he says, first of all, look at this. In the NIV it says, until we reach unity. In the NASB it says, until we attain unity. Now I want to say to you that that translation in the English in those two versions are okay, but they may mislead us into an understanding of how we live the Christian life in a different way that is not intended. Meaning that the word is not that we, we have a goal and we move towards that goal. We're point A and we've got to get to point B. We've got to move because we're not where point B is. That's not, where this, that's not what this means. It means more carefully is that you have been already unified and therefore the goal is to recognize and live out what you have been what has happened to us all and that the unity factor is already a, a done deal it's a reality and therefore our maturity is in recognizing that which God has already done. And that's where the growth comes into. Let me, let me explain this. The word unity has a different meaning in our country, in our culture, a more of a political agreement. 
that if we are in agreement, we're on the same page, then we're unified. That's not what this word means. This means that there's a oneness. The word in the Greek is henotes. It translated unity, but it means one. A oneness. Much like Ruth and Naomi. No matter where uh, they would go, they would be together. That, the, that where, your, where your people are, I'm going to be. I'm going to be with you. And so they were inseparable because it was a oneness of spirit, a oneness in essence, a oneness in loyalty, a oneness that was not going to be split because it was a connection point. And that's what you have to understand. That's what that idea of unity means. It's not that we have the same doctrine. It means that we are brought together. We belong to each other. We're connected to each other. Or the same thing about Jonathan and David. You know the story in the Old Testament. It says their hearts were knit together as one. When you talk about oneness, it's the same spirit when you talk about marriage, that the man shall leave his, his mother and a woman shall leave her home, and they will come together until the two become as one. And their whole identity is not one and one, is one. It's, it's like the essence of their connection. It means that you no longer see yourself independent, privatized, compartmentalized, as separate from the whole body. You belong here. Until we attain to the idea that you, not just in Chesterton Baptist, not just as a Baptist, but anybody who calls on the name of Christ, anyone who calls on the name of Christ is your brother, is your sister. And you are one with that person. And that is much bigger than just churchianity. If they're following Christ and you're following Christ and you're saved and they're saved, you are one together. That's why you can meet somebody in the airport or Walmart or somewhere and you can have an immediate connection. You ever, ever had that? People that you don't know and all of a sudden you feel so close. Why? Because the Spirit of God has brought you together. That's amazing. Just amazing to me. And therefore, if you have this abiding life, what J. Oswald, uh, Oswald Chambers says, there's no condition of life which we cannot abide. Abide. Because we are one, we are never outside of our relationship with Christ. We abide with him, and he abides in us. And, but we have to learn to abide. We have to learn that we are already had this oneness. And he says, I am with you until the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never give up my hold on you. God has never quit being with us. Though we may forget God or walk away or forget him, but that will come up again. But the idea, what Jews understood, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And when God wanted Israel to be one, they knew that it wasn't just he was a monotheistic God. It's just that all of Israel was to be one with this God. And so, therefore, there was this commitment to say, where my people are, that's where I am going to be. That's what the unity means. It doesn't mean agreement. It means the essence of connection. And therefore, in the high priestly prayer, when Jesus would pray, Father, you and I are one. We've never been separated. And that's what I long for my disciples. I pray that they would be one. 
And that where there's any division or any conflict or any obstacles, then you understand there's immaturity at play because you were meant to be intimately acquainted with God himself and connected with people in such a way that they would reflect that Christ-likeness, that grace-likeness, that love-likeness of Christ in the relationships. This is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And therefore, Paul says to the Ephesians, one by one, relationship by relationship, I love you. I care for you. I want you. You, We belong together. And they knew it because they didn't have all this other politics going on. And therefore, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branch, you abide in me and I abide in you and my Father comes and will dwell within you, you realize this oneness is a spiritual reality that God wants us to reckon. And the fact that you are connected to Christ and I am connected to Christ, it doesn't mean that you're different or better or worse. It means we all have the same foundation. We all have the same faith. We all have the same baptism. We all have the same spirit. We all have what we all have because he is all we have. And he is all we need. And therefore, it's not focused on you and what differences you bring or what you questions you bring. It's focused on him. And if we are connected to him, we are all connected together. That's what the oneness means. And therefore, you are my brother, and you are my sister, and the person right next to you, and the person to the other side and behind you, you have a family. And that family is not based on you. It's based on the ones we all know, who's all called us. It's a wonderful thing. And therefore, to grow in that, as he would say, we want to grow in that understanding And not only would we grow up, but we would have that same oneness in the knowledge of God. That what you know about Christ is what I would know about Christ. When the Spirit of God teaches, the Spirit of God is not going to teach you something different than He taught me. Now, in Islam, in Islam, if God speaks to you, He speaks only to you. And God may speak something different to you. There is a diversity in Islam, but there's no unity in Islam. It's so diverse because God doesn't have any, any other way to reveal himself except a private personal word. And it's not the same across the board. That's another pot of coffee. In Islam, God sends a word. In Christianity, God sends a son. He comes himself. And therefore, as we have the same knowledge of the Son of God, then we understand there's a way that we understand as we hear people, as we interact with people. If you read the Jehovah Witness version, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. If you read the Mormons, the Mormons have a different version of Jesus Christ. There are many Christs out there. But he says if Jesus became God through his obedience, it doesn't say he was God. It wasn't the Father. So there's a different interpretation. Not so for us. Why? Because we have this book. And our goal is not to know the book. It's to know the author of this book. 
And we have the Holy Spirit who wrote this book, writing the same thing in my heart. And therefore, if you have anybody who says that Jesus is not the Lord, Jesus is not the Christ, Jesus is not resurrected, Jesus is not who you think he is, then you've run across somebody who doesn't belong to him. And therefore, for us, we have to have this discerning ability that as we have the same knowledge of Christ, we grow up as a mature man. And the standardization, the definition of maturity is the same fullness of Christ had. What it means to be a man in today's age is what Christ did 2,000 years. That's a man. And anything less than Jesus Christ is less of a man. That's our standard, the fullness of Christ, the measure of Christ, the grace of Christ, the glory of Christ. That's our calling. It's a high calling. And that's why Paul says, I haven't got there yet. But I'm pressing on because I know that's what God's called me to do. And therefore, as we move, we recognize that God's commitment to give you grace and strength through the power of the Spirit, through His Son, is to bring you to this level of understanding of who He is and how He relates to us. This is a wonderful thing. And yet, as we come back to the second part, is that we are to grow out of maturity, immaturity, and grow into maturity. But there's a problem here. There are blocks There are obstacles. There are things that we don't know that are affecting us. And it's kind of like having a, it's kind of like having an Etch-a-Sketch. I'm afraid to do this. But if this is an Etch-a-Sketch, what you knew about God on Sunday morning, you forget on Tuesday afternoon. And something, something just kind of erases. There's something in the human spirit that we are drawn to Christ and so quickly drawn away from Christ. Now, if that doesn't confuse you, it confuses me. Why is prayer so hard? Why is reading the Word so hard? Why is being with Christian people sometimes not so inviting? Because there's something going on inside me that I say there's a resistance to what God is doing, and that remind, that it keeps me in a period of immaturity. Let me give you this little quote I learned a long time ago. Two natures dwell within my breast. One is cursed, the other blessed. One I love, and one I hate. But the one I feed will dominate. Let me say that again. It's a great little verse. Two natures dwell within my breast. One is cursed, uh, the other is blessed. One I love, and one I hate. But the one I feed will dominate. If you're a little child... You have someone looking over your diet. You have someone preparing your meals. You have someone watching out for you. Except if you're a little kid, you're also curious. And and as as a baby, as Max knows, everything goes into the mouth, right? Well, there's this one father, mom. Had a, had a two-year-old who was exploring the world out in the garden. And as a mom walks out, they see little little Johnny with a big lump in the side of the cheek and mommy says and you've done this what's open your mouth open your mouth what do you got in there what do you get in there mm-hmm. what do you got in your mouth mm-hmm. and so in goes a finger have you done that and out pops a snail this big <laughs> the kid had put a snail in his mouth <laughs> that's what kids do 
they have to sense, taste, everything experientially because as immature kids, they don't know. If people are young in the faith, they will be so vulnerable and they will also be, uh, they will also be open to explore and they need protection. How about spiritually? I don't know this, this church down the road. I'll fi- find this one out. But when I went to Chagrin Falls, there's a, there's a lot of new age things going around here. And, and yet, if you are not strong in Christ, you will be most vulnerable to any wind of fluence or any doctrine that can pull you away. There was a young woman I met in Japan. A Christian woman fell in love with a Muslim man. And she left the Christian religion because she fell in love with the Muslim man. You see, if we're immature, we're most vulnerable. We're most easily carried away by every wind of doctrine. But whatever persuades us, and therefore Paul says, no, no, we don't want you to be ignorant. And he'll talk about ignorance later on. But the Ephesians were ignorant. Remember, they came out of a pagan background. They didn't know any different. And of course they're not going to have this knowledge of Christ. Of course they're going to be conditioned by the way they think. But the last thing as we move into, if you, are, if, you are, if you don't know, you don't know, which is not the problem. Ignorance isn't the problem. It's what you do with it. And therefore, in our inability to learn how to learn, we are stuck where we are stuck. And there are a lot of people who are stuck in pain, A lot of people are stuck in habits. A lot of people are stuck in doubt. A lot of people are stuck with confusion, stuck in cynicism. And in their inexperience, they have no knowledge of how Christ lifts them out of those things. That is not to be true for you. As a body of Christ, as we mature in Christ, there is a secret. And I'll talk about that next week. Because there are obstacles that get in the way of our understanding grace, that the Spirit of God is going to go put his finger on and says, let me take that away from you. Let me help you grow by letting this go. That's why our verse, memory verse this September was if any man is going to follow me, he's going to have to take up his cross because that nature that you're feeding of the flesh has to give way to the nature of the Spirit of God blessing you. And therefore, the maturity is learning how to say one big yes to Jesus and a lot of little uh uh-huh, 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 and you stay in step with the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to stop here because we'll be here till 12 o'clock tonight. But let me just say this, that if spiritual maturity is directly tied to your understanding of who Jesus is, and your ability to let the Spirit of God control you, then church, we are all in trouble. We all, all of us, just like the Ephesians, we don't have it together. Even Paul says, I haven't got that, but I'm pressing on. That's the most important thing. Jesus, I want to know you. I don't want to forget you. And then the idea of growing and growing and keeping in step with the Spirit means that we have to go through a transformation. And Paul goes into that in the next section by putting off and putting on. One I love and one I hate. 
but the one I feed will dominate. That's how the Ephesians began to grow. And that's how the Corinthians heard about the Ephesians. That's how the Galatians heard about the Ephesians. And they became known throughout the world. They became a gracious people because they, re they related grace to one another. And they built one another up. So, let me close here. God binds a strong man and he builds a strong man. How does he build the church? He gives pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets. But he gives you. Your job is just as important to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ so that you talk about how you are growing or how you are not growing in grace. But you learn how to come here as need, needful, crazy, messed up people. Anybody here messed up? Anybody perfect? You're in the right spot. And so is the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he's going to be doing here at Chesterland Baptist. I'm telling you, just keep buckling your seatbelt because you won't be leaving the same as you came in. Let's pray. Father, we just simply ask that you would be our vision. We ask that you would be the Lord of our hearts. That, that we would not look to the right or to the left. We would not look in, but that we would look on Jesus. And that we would hear you and we would grow in the spirit of knowing how to yield to you. God help us. For, again, that's your will and that's your purpose. And so we ask that boldly. We ask it in faith. We ask it, again, because you give us the permission to ask that. So, Lord, be with your church and make us, make us men and women of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.